Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating, not just reducing, completely eradicating. I believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for Mondays, not Fridays, and get to do their most meaningful work. The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices, which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves, and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Michael McFall is the co-founder and co-CEO of Big B Coffee and a two-time author. In the interview, Michael shares his journey from being an obsessive entrepreneur to an effective leader. He emphasizes the challenge of letting go and empowering a team. He challenges conventional short-term thinking, advocates for long-term purpose and societal benefit. Amidst his business prowess, Michael values life as an adventure, fostering a dynamic and multifaceted approach to leadership that extends beyond the boardroom. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Appreciate you having me. It's a pleasure to have you join us today. To begin with, uh, can you share a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, we've been we've been at it now 28 years developing the company. And I started in our very first coffee shop. I started as a minimum wage barista and, and I worked 6 a.m. till 2 p.m. every day behind the line, pulling shots of espresso and making drinks. I was at that point, I was at the university in East Lansing, Michigan, and I was doing a specific research project in preparation to go back to graduate school. I took the job at the coffee shop as a way to just supplement a little bit of income because the job at the university was only 20 hours a week. So yeah, I took the job and ultimately what happened for me was I fell in love with the business. I fell in love with being a barista. It sounds crazy, but I loved showing up to work. I love making drinks. I love taking care of people, putting a smile on people's face in the morning. That was something that I really enjoyed. And my partner, Bob Fish, he approached me interested in having a conversation about me becoming a manager in the business, taking more responsibility. And then that was, we sat down one, one, one afternoon, almost like interview style, like classic interview style. And, and we ended up just popping up. It was a beautiful spring day here in Michigan. And we just, we popped up and we went for a four hour walk around East Lansing. And at the end of that walk, we shook hands and agreed to form a new company. 
that company, we started, that company was formed in June of 1998. So it took us a while to get that put together formally, but we put that together on a handshake and really we've been doing business that way ever since. And we've been able to grow it. And I'm real proud of what we've built out. Absolutely. That's a long journey, right? And a long commitment to what you're trying to do. Yeah. And one of the reasons that we are talking about here is your book, right? Which came out titled Grow. But as I was looking looking at your profile, I also see that you had another book earlier by the name Grind, right? So can you, yeah. can you share that? So now after more than two decades, can you share how has your outlook changed? Because many of the concepts in your book, one of which was about love, I think is very different from what the word grind suggests. Yeah. Can you share a bit about your journey and how have you evolved or how has the company evolved with you? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. And the reason why I wanted to write separate books is that the mentality and approach where I am today in the organization I'm running today is very different than the grind moment. And so grind was written to capture the ethos of startup. So you start a business and there's a certain, in my opinion, there's a certain mentality and attitude and expectation that you need to have during startup. And then where grow picks up in that progression is in that bootstrapping entrepreneurial phase, you have a, you have what, what feels like is a sustainable business and, but you're still in that bootstrapping phase early then grow picks up and that's about the evolution from bootstrapping entrepreneur to effective leader and then ultimately grow takes you through the progression to what I'm calling irrelevance where you as the entrepreneur become irrelevant in your own organization to the future success of that company and the book series is written to document for our own organization, and then I, obviously I hope the world, that that progression and how you need to grow as a person in order to grow your business. Yeah. And can you share how was that transition for you? Because I also know that can be a painful, if not like an impossible transition for a lot of founders who have given it so much, so much of their life, their personal self to take their company from a startup to a certain level? That's, that's the million dollar question here in the book is trying to answer that. And how was it for me? It was very slow, very long. You take two steps forward, you take three back. You take two steps forward, you take one back. And you don't go from an obsessive, maniacal entrepreneur to effective leader quickly. I would say our transition was, and we're still in it, we're still making that transition now, but I would say our transition was a decade or, or even longer, 15 years to make that transition. And the key though, one of the keys is understanding that even though you started it and it is your baby, that doesn't mean that you have all the answers. To, in terms of growing the business beyond that bootstrapping entrepreneurial phase. And you have to bring people in that have expertise and then let them do their work. 
and stay out of their way in order to progress and grow as an organization. And for many entrepreneurs, that's really difficult because we think that we know the answer. And I talk a lot about this concept of leaders will say things like, I'll let them skin their knee and I'll let them fall down and they'll learn from that. But that presumes that you know the answer. And once you can get over that hurdle where people are actually better at their jobs than you are actually smarter than you are. Once you can get over that hurdle, then you can begin to make real progress in the organization. Yeah. And can you share a bit more into that, right? Long journey, if you say a decade long journey, what supported you? What were those support pillars that you had on that journey? There's a couple. One, I have my partner. And so we're very fortunate because we can bring each other feedback and we see and intimately understand the other person. And so we see the behaviors that are going to get in the way. And so my partner brings me feedback on certain behaviors, or I bring him feedback on certain behaviors. So that that is a real advantage, I think, in getting the feedback you need to grow. But the other thing that I think is absolutely critical is full transparency with your team and bringing the team into everything that's going on. And because if you hold cards and you don't allow these other leaders to be involved in the messy stuff or the difficult thing, then you're the one that's still the puppet master, if that makes sense. But if you can be fully transparent, put everything out there, even talking about like the stuff that you're working on to grow as a leader and bringing them into that conversation. Then you can begin to get real feedback from your team. And I make a case in my book that your best mentor is your team. And we all think of mentorship as people being mentors who are more experienced and they they're, they have the experience that they've been through that they're bringing to you to help you learn and grow. I think the best mentor is the people that work with you day in and day out mm. and your team. And so that transition where your team is actually bringing you the things that you need to be working on in order to mm. make them more effective in their world is critical. Yeah. And can you share an example of when you brought your team in? Because especially one thing that the grind phase does is, is it makes people intimidated of sharing something so openly with you as a leader. So how did you break that pattern and started to build a new pattern? Great question. So we went through a series of engagements where we individually put together our own growth plans, but in personal growth plans. And, but we did that collectively. And so everyone brought me the things that, that they thought I should be working on as a leader. And we had, a, we built a pretty tight group. We had a lot of trust and that's step one is you have to create an environment where people 
feel okay with bringing you feedback on yourself and so on. And that starts with you explaining to them that you need their input to grow Mm -hmm. as a leader. And for this organization to become what we all want this organization to become, I need to be a more effective leader. And the only way I can do that is to know and understand how I'm impacting you. And so just bringing that topic up starts the conversation. Mm. And so as a leader, you have to be vulnerable enough to say, I know I'm not a perfect leader. I know I've got a lot that I have to work on. And what I would really like is I'd like for you to bring me feedback and help me understand how I can be more effective. And then you go, and then you put your plan together and then you bring your plan to them and you say, okay, so in 2023, these are the three things I'm going to work on this year. And I need you coaching me and I need you pointing out when I'm falling short on these three and then bringing me guidance on my work as a leader. And then everyone else is doing the same thing. And so you end up with, let's say you've got six people on your team, each one of the, each person, what they're working on. And then each one of us individually can support them in that growth. But I think it starts with the vulnerability of the leader going to the team and saying, I need your help with Mm. understanding how I can be more effective for you. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing which I found very interesting in your book is, is you talking about everybody is different when you're working with people and you have to be more like chameleon. You have to be able to adapt moment to moment, right? And while earlier you think of yourself as like a fixed, maybe an introverted, maybe a go-getted person, right? So how can somebody become flexible and adaptable? And then where do you find your sense of personality or your sense of identity? I think that this concept, and I just, right before I came on here with you, I was in a meeting with someone on our team. And the expectation in the world, I think in many ways, is that when you hire someone, that they come to you with a full toolbox, with every tool they need, and they're going to be effective in every area. That's just not true. We all, every one of us has missing tools or rusty old tools in our toolbox. And so our job as the leader is to engage each person and understand their toolbox Mm -hmm. and understand where they have missing tools or they have tools that need to be sharpened or fixed or whatever. And, but that is a very intimate, very individual conversation. And so instead of approaching somebody like, hey, they've got the full toolbox. And if they don't, that's on them. That's their work. But as, an, as a leader, it's your job to help them fill the toolbox with all the tools they need in order to be effective in their position. Yeah. And so instead of treating everybody similarly, it's a very different conversation with every person. And and that takes an enormous amount of work. It takes an enormous amount of work, but that's leadership, right? That leadership is about the development of your team and the development of your people. And so that's the job of the leader is to be that engaged and intimate with each person on the team. 
Yeah, yeah. And we're still talking about business. I think that would be a question in a lot of listeners' mind that how do you balance that with accountability with like quarter by quarter results and growth? So how would you, yeah, bring those two? two? I think that if you can create a team where every single person, what I call it unlocking their inner superpower and unlocking them as a person, if you can get a room full of people that are fully unlocked, that understand their strengths and their weaknesses, and then have everybody on the team understanding each individual's strengths and weaknesses and understand what everyone's working on, that team will become incredibly powerful. And that team will drive the results of the business and just get engage in epic ways for the organization. And so instead of jumping up and down and screaming and yelling about how we need to hit this result and you're going to be accountable and you're going to do what you need to do. Like instead of being this sort of tyrannical leader that drives towards results, how about creating a team that's really powerful that will get your results and so much more? And I talk a lot about how the number one complaint of management and leadership, if you ask a room full of people, the number one complaint is always people and accountability, right? That's always the number one complaint. If you engage what I'm advocating, this work, your people will go from being the most difficult part of your world becoming the most inspiring part of your world. And we've all been part, we've all been a part of really strong teams, powerful teams, and it is inspiring for everyone involved. And so instead of your people being a source of difficulty in your world, they will become inspiring to you and the results will manifest. Yeah. Yeah. And a key element of that is trust. How do your people see you as having their best interest in mind? So can you speak a bit about that? Because I think that is critical for having people be your side. I think it's on the leader. It's on the leader. And leaders don't want to hear that. <laughs> and so I talk about how the leader needs to make the investment first. And that's not what leaders want. What leaders want is to hire somebody and have them come in and ultimately be high performing right away. And then yeah. you come to the group and they're high performing and that's what we're all looking for. But at the end of the day, that's not what people do. People enter a team and because of the experiences they've had in the world, which have typically been negative and oftentimes negative, they come in and they're cynical first. Hmm. And then you have to prove and you have to earn their trust as the leader. In order to have the ability to lead them, you have to earn their trust first. And so I talk about doing things like invest early, invest hmm. first. And so when you bring somebody into your team, invest in them right away. 
Don't, don't hold back and wait and see how they're going to perform. Mm-hmm. Invest early, and then that will start to build that trusting relationship. One small example would be maybe you've got an opportunity for a meeting that a new person on your team uh, would would love to go to, but it's not part of their world, and it's a, it'll be a little weird for them to ask to come or whatever it might be. So reach out and invite them to attend the meeting with you, right? And they're just there. They're there to observe. They're there. And you're starting, that's a little investment in them. And you begin to show them how this is going to work for them. And so so invest early, earn the right to lead. And I think that's probably the biggest Mm. nugget I want the world to hear on this trust building is that it is on you as the leader and you have to earn the right to lead people by building trust. And that's on you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, right? Now, two decades into the journey, right? Can you share what is next for you? What is the vision that you have? And uh, yeah, both from business and also from a leadership point of view. I think this is a three book series. Books one and two are written. And the third book is going to be, I hope anyway, we'll see. (laughs) It's going to be a call to action. So book one is startup. Book two is leadership. Now at the end of the grow phase, so you've been through grind, you've been through grow. You now are a successful entrepreneur with a business that has been scaled and is very successful. And so with that, in my opinion, comes responsibility. You have all kinds of resources. You have a team. You have connections in a network. You have money. <laughs> you have a lot of resources you built. Now, how are you going to use those resources mm. to improve the human condition? And I think that is true leadership. If leadership is simply about starting a company, scaling a company, and getting rich yourself, that's not leadership to me. That's greed, right? That's greed. And I think that we, when we move into this way of thinking, that is, okay, now I need to take on one challenge in the world, or I need to support one one area of improvement for yeah. our community. That's leadership. And that, that to me is where we need to take leadership from thinking that all we're supposed to do as leaders is return on equity mm-hmm. or return on shareholder value. That to me isn't true leadership. True leadership is once you're there, now what legacy are you going to leave in the world? And Mm. I think, in my opinion, private enterprise is the most powerful force on the planet. And we need to engage because if, in my opinion, if we don't do it, nobody else is going to. And so when we start talking about these major significant problems facing the world, I think that it's leaders of private enterprise that can make powerful change in the world, more powerful than any government agency, more powerful Mm -hmm. than any nonprofit, more power. And so that's going to be the call to action. So that's next. The thing about my business is I I need to make sure that I am living up to all of this stuff that I'm writing about. And I want my business and my business is going to continue to grow, continue to expand, thrive all the while that I am working on these other things based on 
all of the premises I put down inside of Grow. And so that's for my business. That's next. I need to support my leadership team. I need to continue for the business to thrive and grow, even though I'm not in the minute to minute or even the day by day anymore. Yeah. Uh, and that's so I've got to prove that out, I guess, is a way to say that. And so we've got yeah. real metrics. We've got metrics associated with that in terms of how we're going to meet these goals and objectives and live out our purpose, live out our vision. And so that's next. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful trilogy, right? They started with grind, which was a lot about me or I, I will make this successful. And then it's more about the team now, right? You have a team, it's more about we. And then, as you said, this is the platform for something else. Now you're talk, not talking about how can we become bigger, but how can we contribute? Like how can we make a difference? And that's so much about meaning, right? That's so much about legacy, as you said. And then obviously for that to happen, you need to create a structure in place so that the foundation continues to grow while you focus your efforts. And what challenges does that present for you? What new challenges show up? Yeah, I think so. One, I just want to comment that by moving into this focus on legacy, that does not mean that you aren't continuing to grow a really powerful, profitable mm. business. You aren't giving up the powerful, profitable business in order to implement legacy or to engage legacy, the business itself is still continuing to grow and thrive and be super powerful in the world. And you are going to begin to focus in and contribute mm. to our communities and society as a whole. So I just, sometimes I think people think that it's either or, either focus in and grow your business and make that thrive, or you are over here working on philanthropy and legacy. What yeah. I'm saying is a well-led, healthy organization does both. Mm. And, and then you asked about challenges. The challenges in the world, I, for us anyway, right now, is it's a lot about onboarding leaders who bring an incredible amount of experience and expertise in the world to our company. And then accepting and understanding their position on things, but then folding that into the culture that we've created and trying to meld all of that together. That's a big challenge because you hire somebody with 30, 35 years worth of experience and they come in and they have, they've got it, right? They understand what they're doing. They're a strong leader. They're very effective. And oh, by the way, we've got all of these things that we believe in and we want you to try to incorporate and so on. So that's a challenge. The other challenge is thinking, how do we, I'm just, I'm reading a book right now called Enlightened Capitalism. And it's 30 stories of people that really try to have a powerful impact on the world. It's great. It's very specific stories one over the other, over the other. And basically the point of the book is out of 30 companies, there's only, they say two that have been able to continue with that, with their mentality and culture beyond the founders 
giving up control, giving up control of the business. Yeah. So that's our challenge is now this company is going to be here in 200 years and we want it to still be Mm. the company and be a powerful company focused on our purpose and so on, even after we're gone. Mm. And to me, that's our biggest challenge. Absolutely. But I think I, and I want to acknowledge that frame itself, right? Thinking about 200 years ahead, that itself is a huge step forward. Because for a lot of people, that that doesn't even make sense. Uh, and in your book, you also wrote a, write about learning from other leaders and especially non-business leaders. And many times in the business world, we can get caught up in our eco chambers. So can you share what is it that the business worlds or the business leaders need to hear from a leadership point of view, but not from leadership as they normally listen about it? There's a sickness in corporate I'm going to say corporate America. I know your audience is much broader than that. But there's this sickness of short-term valuation. And from for many entrepreneurs, they start the business, they want to scale the business, and then they want to liquidate the business. And then they want to go, I don't know what they want to do, maybe start another company or whatever. And the only value they're bringing is the value of whatever product they're serve, they're putting into the world and they want to return value to themselves and they want to walk away with a 50, $100 million network. Okay. And then there's also in the public, publicly traded entities, there's just this obsession with term performance. And that flies directly uh, in the face of the work I'm trying to advocate in the world. And the work that I'm trying to advocate in the world is that we build effective leadership teams that return on value and really support a long-term purpose that provides a significant benefit to society and the community beyond the product that we're selling and making a profit off of. And that is, uh, it's not new. This isn't new thinking. People have been thinking this way for a long time. But Milton Friedman in 1971 basically gave shareholders and owners a license to ignore everything other than return on equity and profitability. And he said, the only thing that matters is increasing shareholder value, right? Now, the thing that people have to understand is Milton Friedman is a very smart person. And the thing that we all have forgotten, I not everyone. But I think the thing that a lot of people have forgotten was that was written in a moment in time when capital was extremely scarce and it was hard to get capital. And what he was advocating was we need capital flowing again inside of private enterprise, within inside of corporations. And But the problem was people took that and basically made that a license for shareholder supremacy for the next 50 years. But I don't think he meant it to last for 50 years. I think he was trying to solve a very immediate problem in 1971. And we've got to get back to a different place where organizations have a different understanding of what they're supposed to be doing in the world, not just returning on shareholder value. Thank you. I think that's a wonderful question, which any organizational leader can ask themselves and their team and what are we giving back what is our role here rather than simply like just riding that treadmill what is our role here and as we try to wind this up right a little bit maybe on the personal side 
Is there something about you that most people are not aware of? At this point, most people I work with in my organization, they pretty much know. Mm -hmm. I think that most people would, would, I think the interesting maybe perspective I have is that to me, life is about it being an adventure. And this company and what I've built here is a means, it's an adventure in and of itself, of course, but it's also a means to provide me the opportunity to live a life that is an adventure. And yeah, and I and I wrote something the other day that was like that I get a lot, I get a fair amount of notoriety in the world because I built this company. But it might not even be in the top five most interesting things I've ever done in my life. <laughs> this is how I made a living and this is and so on, but it's not me. It's not everything to me. I have many things in my life that are as important or more important than being the CEO, co-CEO with my business partner of this company. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that you spoke about life, right? Because I think leadership is a life skill, not just a business skill. And then there is so much more to life than just making business or making sure whatever we do for for our like economical means. So thank you for giving us that glimpse into yeah. where does this huge, even if from the outside, it looks like a huge success. It plays a small role, as you said, right? It's not the biggest thing on your mind at all the time. So thank you for giving us this wholesome perspective on you, sure. who you are and taking us along on this journey. And yeah, I think every listener would be waiting out for your next book while they enjoy these two ones. So yeah, yeah. Thank you for everything that you shared, Michael. And before we end, right, anybody who might be listening, what is the best way for them to stay up with you, what you're up to and reach out to you if they want to? Yeah, I put together a, a website. That's my own name. That's Michael J, that's just the letter J and then nickfall.com. And that has access to every one of my social media channels. And then there's a fair amount of content on that website in an area that I've coined the classroom. Fair amount of content there that isn't anywhere else in the world. And uh, and so that's probably the best place to connect with me. And then, of course, we can click through and connect on social media channels and so on. I'm doing a fair amount of, I've got a fair amount of activity in those areas as well. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I will make sure to include those links with the show notes. And in the meantime, I want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead. Thank you, Simon. This has been great. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. All right. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. 
your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.